Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Do Business Better podcast. Got a great episode for you today because I've got a great guest. His name is Tom Cunningham, and he is a first-generation farmer that saw an opportunity in agriculture, and he's created a company called Grazer. Grazer aims to be the Airbnb for farmers to sell their meat. Nice little description, right? You know about Airbnb. You know that people eat meat. At least 97% of Americans still consider themselves to be meat eaters. And then you're saying, okay, this is a pretty cool thing. So we've got a guy that wanted to be in agriculture. We've got an ag tech and a tech play. We've got a consumer marketplace, which obviously is only growing in terms of the whole internet-based businesses. So this is the Do Business Better podcast. Obviously, it's me, Damian Mason, coming at you. Please subscribe to this and subscribe to my YouTube channel. YouTube is Damian Mason channel. You can watch as well as listen on the uh, normal audio formats, wherever you get your podcasts on Stitcher, iCloud, iTunes, whatever the hell, you know, SoundCloud out all those places. Anyway, Tom Cunningham, welcome to Do Business Better podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Damon. Really right. appreciate it. You're a 37-year-old guy in Columbia, Tennessee. Start start me start me on this path. You um your background. So, uh my background's actually in uh I came out of the fire service. My my wife sort of retired me out of the fire service uh, uh about 6 years ago. We were living out in northern Nevada and uh she kind of said what, what could I do to get you to, uh, um, you know, leave this busy, crazy schedule behind. And, um, so we ended up looking for a farm and landed in middle Tennessee. Wait and, a minute. Uh, fire whole- service, fire service. Remember people that listen to this podcast are business folks, small biz people, self-employed entrepreneurs, gig economy, people, uh, you know, sure. aspiring. And they're saying Northern Nevada. I mean, I thought there was like wild horses. Like, I mean, it's like where <laughs> Robert Redford is in the horse whisperer. Right. Uh, all right. What's going on? You're in Northern Nevada fire services. So I was a, a firefighter EMT for the city of South Lake Tahoe in Northern California. We resided yeah. in Northern Nevada. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I always, it, it was funny that I landed in, you know, sort of a government service uh, job because I always was a passionate entrepreneur, um, you know, whether I was a paper boy or uh, just any number of things. And and my my wife and I, we have a small business. That's what allowed me to, um, you know, we're actually in network marketing and that that's what allowed me to retire out of, of that uh, line of work. And uh, so we're very, my, my dad's been a, um, been a part of startups and, you know, it's, it runs in the family um, my brother-in-law, it's all, we're all over the place with entrepreneurship. So it was kind of funny that I ended up in the fire service, but loved it, had a, a great time, but, um, um, we ended up looking for a farm and landed in just about an hour South of Nashville. And, um, uh, a lot of it was for my kids, the experience I wanted to give them the childhood I wanted to give them. Um, but it grew, it obviously grew into much more. I'm, I'm, my mind is programmed to look at things and see how we can do it better or differently, or, you know, learn how this person does something versus how this person does something. And, you know, why do we use square bales? Why do we use round bales? You know, just like, I just want to know, you know, and, uh, coming into the, the go ahead. Well, okay. So are you actually from that Northern Nevada or where were you raised? I was raised in Northern California. Yes, sir. 
and you're not, and you, and you, you never been a farm guy. So you said, I want to farm and I want to own a, a chunk of property, which is cool. More people are doing that now. And you said, but I got to make it work as a business. Okay. So take me from there. Uh, and this is six sure. years ago, several years ago. Uh, several years ago. Yeah. So basically, you, you know, we, we got a few cattle, we were raising hogs. We were learning a lot about it. Just lots of rookie mistakes. Um, but as we prepared for like, okay, so how are we going to take this to market? Um, I kind of mentioned earlier, we're, we're not a large farm. We're on 84 acres. We, we lease a little more land, uh, but it's, it's a small operation. So we needed to make the most out of our product and that's direct marketing, direct sales, you know? And so I started going, doing market research with the, the people who were quote unquote successful with it nearby me and learning about, you know, what their costs were, what their hurdles to market were. And just really quickly realizing not only was it a lot harder, you know, than I thought kind of thing, one of those moments, but also just how silly it was, the hurdles they had to jump through to bring their product to market. And it really kind of set me back on a, do I want to go forward with this in the manner in which I thought I did? And B, is there a better way? And yeah. so I, I, I kind of set to that and dwelled on that for a little while. And Grazer is the, the product of that. Okay. So you, uh, you have, you, you got, you got some livestock and you're out there and you're saying, I, I can't, I'm not big enough to like go through the meat packing industry, the infrastructure for these mega, mega food companies and, and, and whatnot. So you're like, okay, I can't do that. I'm going to sell my stuff and, and retain some of the margin as a small producer. And I'm very familiar with this because I've done this myself for 13 years. Sure. I had my own small little beef, uh, beef herd and beef operation. Okay. So <clears throat> You've got these products and then you say, all right, now I want to go to directly these customers. Uh, and then you said, wait a minute, how do I find them? How do they find me? Is that what was the inspiration? Yeah. I mean, the inspiration was when I actually spoke with a hog farmer who told me that 50%, approximately 50% of his cost at, at the market was after the animal left the farm to the point that it got to the customer's hands. And that really shook me. And I, so I started to drill down into what were those costs? Were they all necessary? You know, what, what could be adjusted? And a lot of the convention right now is either direct from farm, maybe a CSA or farmer's market, or, you know, retailing through another retailer, like the local grocery store or something. You, you know, Tom, that I'm an ag guy, as well as a small business entrepreneur minded guy. Some of the people listening to this podcast don't know what a CSA is. So explain <laughs> real quickly, in general, most meat that the average consumer eats comes from a large, I'll, I'll go ahead and give them this background. Then you can tell. Sure, you can please. So dear consumer, dear listener, viewer, um, and after you keep up with me, you know, I'm an ag guy. And so, most meat that you consume, you go to the grocery store and buy it. It was raised in a industrial agricultural system. And it's not a bad thing. It just means that we're very good at making food, just like we make automobiles and, and uh, you know, computers, whatever. Uh, it probably was um, processed by one of the four big meat processing companies, uh, you know, the Cargills and the Tysons of the world. And, um, and it probably went through an amazing uh, infrastructure where there'd be, you know, thousands of head of animals going through a facility each day being uh, slaughtered and cut and packaged and then distributed all over the United States of America. That's how it typically works. Mr. Cunningham here has a different model because he's small. So tell him your model versus what I just explained that the average consumer eats when they go to Kroger or Walmart and buy a package of meat. Sure. And do you mean just to clarify the, the current 
local meat model or the grazer model? I want you to do both because I think that you are attempting to improve upon the current. And then before we do that, CSA, what's CSA mean? It's community supported agriculture. It's usually like a weekly pickup of a, of a, you know, sort of um, curated amount of fruit, veggies, and maybe meats, depending on what the farm produces. So a person that wants to be involved, and this happens more in larger metropolitan areas, it doesn't happen in my hometown of Huntington, Indiana. It happens more if you're on the outskirts of Seattle. Uh, you get people right. to subscribe and they say, I want to support farmer Tom Cunningham, and I'm going to do this through community-supported agriculture. How does it work? You then prepare a, a bucket of goods, a, a bag of product once a week or month. And then they give you money for that. And it's a, a, that way you have an outlet for your product. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's pros and cons to it. And, and frankly, I think the, the market speaks for itself that we really haven't, you know, perfected the acquisition of, of the, the, the supply chain between local farm and local customer, um, not nearly as well as the industrial model has, um, and so that's really what I set out to do. So local, local meat currently, uh, a very common way, there's a number of ways is either direct from farm where you go buy it from the little farm store, or you meet them out at the farmer's market, say, which is a very, uh, culturally significant thing in, in modern America. We, we love our farmer's markets. Um, generally speaking, it's a fun thing to go do for a lot of people. It's still very niche. Um, now that would be the typical way to go about it. There are a lot of costs when you talk about that, say that hog or that beef needs to be taken to a processor that's USDA, which there are different um, requirements for processing in the United States. According to regulations, USDA is for retail if you're going to sell it in cuts. Custom processors are for private use and do not have the same um, requirements as far as the killing and the processing goes. So it needs to go to a USDA inspected processing plant in order to be sold to the public and then come home that could be hours away for the the farmer and then you're having to choose the cuts and make sure that the cuts you choose are what the market desires right so there's a lot of front end cost to the farmer and front end risk because what if they don't want whole loin you know of a of a hog that week they want you know slices you know or you know just steak so there's a number of of means of different mechanisms there. And then of course you're transporting it at uh, the required um, temperature back and forth to market. You're storing it on your farm. You're spending the hours or the employee hours presenting it to the public at the farmer's market. It's really cumbersome. So when you walk by that, that local beef spot at the farmer's market and you see, you know, sirloin for, you know, 17, $18 a pound, it's not a greedy farmer situation. It's, it's a very, he's, done a phenomenal job probably of raising that animal. Um, it's a matter of, of all the hurdles he has to get over and the cost he incurs to get that finished animal to the market in your hands. So the grazer model is uh, sort of a, a, a simplification of that. And we say, hey, if we can sell a cow in four quarters and, and just have the farmer drop it off at the processor and the customer pick it up from the processor, we can alleviate a massive amount of risk and cost from the farmer and at the same time, hand over a bunch of that savings to the customer 
in affordability affordability and by bringing everybody under one roof it kind of has that airbnb effect if i if i may in regards to instead of going and finding that individual website for the rental in you know lake tahoe or you know colorado somewhere everyone's under one roof and if you want grass fed great if you want grain finished great everybody's there all the local farms are there and you can choose what what is best for your taste um or your occasion and uh go from there just it it gives you a large amount of variety for a great price so you've explained the concept in a little bit more nuts and bolts fashion the person that's listening to this right now says hey man that's interesting i'd love to have uh a couple hundred pounds of meat in my in my freezer because uh god knows with this covid stuff and then we had runs on the groceries and people got scared how do i do this how does the person do this right now right now they want to do it tell them how Sure. So basically when you go on the website, it's going to ask for your location. Wait a minute. Hey, 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 marketing 101. What website? Well, (laughs) it's going to be grazer.net and we're, we're literally pre-launch right now for this area and and it will be nationwide, but uh, it's grazer.net and our current for just information is grazer.press. But uh, you go on the website, it'll challenge you on your, um, on your location and then it'll ask you to choose your preferred local processor. Now, that processor could be 50 miles away, could be 10 miles away. There could be two or three of them to choose from. You choose which one works best for you. And then any animals that are dro- that the farmers around in that surrounding area have allowed to be dropped off at that processor will show up in your results. So it's all driven off of which processor you're willing to go to. Now, we have vision for delivery and things like that. But right now that's how the mechanism works. Grazer, by the way, ladies and gentlemen is spelled uniquely. It is not spelled the way you might think. If you're watching it, you can see the t-shirt that Tom is wearing. Tell him how to spell it. How to spell it. It's G R A Z R. There you go. Grazer. Grazer, grazer grazer.net. G R A Z R. All right. So, uh, response. I know you're just starting. This is the exciting part. And, you know, I've been out here self-employed for 27 years. I still have the thing where people call you up. Hey, man, I want to talk to you. I'll pick your brain. I'll pick your brain. I'm thinking I'll start my business. I'm like, that's fine. But, you know, after a while, my brain doesn't need picked. That's what buzzers do to roadkill. They pick the brains out first, along with the eyeballs. Um, But I always say, you know, everybody has an idea, but you got to actually, you know, make it roll. And it's uh, a tremendous amount more daunting than most people realize. And they always think it's about like, Oh, like getting um, an accountant or um, whether you have to go get some sort of um, registration. I'm like, yeah, that stuff is there sometimes, but the real hard part is getting customers. I said, until you, you know, all the other stuff is just bullshit. You can do all those things. You can get a lawyer, you can have a lawyer do this. You can have an accountant set up a EIN number, you know, for your tax ID. You can set up an LLC, you can do all that stuff. But what you really need before you have a business is a product or a service and a customer. So what's been the response so far? I know you're starting out. What's it, what's the reaction? So we've gotten just, it, the response has been incredible. So we sort of have three stakeholders to win over. You know, we've got the farmers, of course, and then the processors, and of course, the end customer. Um, they're, they're all three important. The processor for us is, is the most important. So our deve- the development of our product has been tailored primarily towards um, software, software solutions for the processor to get them to buy into to 
allowing our, our transactions to be facilitated through them without, uh, you know, incurring any sort of impediment for them and their business process, but quite the opposite, actually bringing a lot of value and efficiency to their model. So there's, you know, automated scheduling software, order tracking software, uh, mobile payment, uh, payment portal so that folks can pay on the go, that kind of thing. So as far as farmers, farmers have been sort of, I, I don't want to speak for them and sound too, you know, uh, bold, but kind of clamoring over themselves to, to be like, when can we have this? Because it's, they see the value and the simplicity in it. They see the man hours spent where they're being spent now and see how many they're going to recruit. And then I think that the, the price, um, the, the value proposition for the end customer, we will need to, um, I was actually walking, wa watching the, uh, educating, uh, educating your customer podcast earlier and, and we'll, we'll need to make them aware of the value proposition and that will be the marketing, you know, strategy, yeah. but the value proposition is, is there for the customer that we're going to be able to win them over at, at least uh, the segment of the uh, market that is willing to put, you know, a hundred pounds of beef or 40, 50 pounds of hog in a freezer. Yeah. Speaking of which now, uh, if I do, you, you you compared it to Airbnb twice now. So I've got a second home. I'm sitting here right now. Let's just say I wanted to rip my my winter home in Arizona out for a week and whatever. I set the price. Airbnb doesn't tell me how to set it because I'm like, no, I, I tell you what. Is that the way it is on Grazer? Am I going to say, here's what I want for my steer? That's exactly how it's going to work on, on Grazer. And that's one of the things I'm really happy about it is that's something farmers can struggle to know what that end price is going to be mm -hmm. oftentimes. And so giving a, them a little bit of security in that area. Now, of course the market has to support it. And we'll, one of the reasons, one of the benefits of aggregating all the farms under one roof and, and creating these like local market pools of data is we will be able to serve the farmer by saying in your area, the average steer is selling for X amount of dollars in this in this market right now. Mm. So if you're, if you're pro, if you're trying to figure out how to price that animal, you say, well, I've got a Jersey beef. I might price it a little lower. That's a dairy cross, you know, where if you're raising, you know, a pure Wagyu, you might know, well, I'm on the, the higher end of that, but we'll be able to give you some, some analytics back to, to help you with that. Yeah. So uh, the, they set the price. And then what about the price that the uh, the middle person, the one that actually brings the animal in there and cuts it up and kills it and makes it all available for the customer, they set their price too, right? Absolutely. Yep. The, the processor gets their same normal pricing that they would charge any other customer okay. just with the software solutions to help them be more efficient. Uh, Tom, you got some investment a little bit small scale frankly um you know uh, small scale compared to you know some some huge huge investment pools but how'd you go about doing that so we were we we primarily you know funded it ourselves until we we knew that we wouldn't be able to go the whole the whole way ourselves uh and that's myself and my co-founder anthony laney and uh we we recognized that regulation crowdfunding offered us sort of a, a unique ability to almost pre sort of market the product with our stakeholders by reaching out and, and informing, you know, discerning customers, foodies, you know, people who are interested in where their food comes from and saying, you can actually be a, a part 
of owning, you know, quote unquote, at the Airbnb or, you know, where your food, the, the whole foods, the next place that, that we could see local food coming from. Um, if that's grazer, we want to offer our stakeholders an opportunity to, to be owners and, and benefit from the success there too. So it is a small offering, but it's a, uh, it's going to get us through this next chapter and, uh, you know, bringing in revenue and that's the key, right? So, yeah. So if, uh, if a person listens to this podcast says, I want to take my thing to the next level, I just need some money behind me. And I don't know if I want to go to the bank because of whatever. So how'd you go about getting the investors again? So we used a platform called WeFunder and there's a number of them out there and, and they're very valuable in the, in regards to, uh, handling the form C with the security exchange commission, uh, kind of walking you through it, providing you a, a web presence, um, amongst an aggregation of other, you know, crowdfunding. So they bring you to some investors and give you that presence. They keep you in line because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, that's one of the toughest part about being an entrepreneur is you can't be an expert at everything. So, you know, you might know your market well, but I don't know the security exchange commission's regulations on crowdfunding. You know, I've read them, <laughs> I've read them, but that doesn't make me an expert. What mistakes or mistake? Give me one at least. Everybody learns, you know, uh, the old thing is the the lessons the lessons you learn best are the ones you pay for. And everybody thinks that means going to college. Well, that's one thing. Or, <laughs> but the real lessons are the ones you pay for, as in you make a mistake and it costs you dearly or cost you just a little bit or cost you in time and grief and stress. Tell me about a mistake you've made and what you yeah. learned from it. You know, that's, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm sure we'll make, we've made some great mistakes and I'm sure we'll make some more, uh, in, in the process of developing the, pr the product, the marketplace and finding the right developer, the team to work with, um, you know, it, you know, they say, you know, we outsourced it and, and it was partly in a, a, a domestic American team augmented by an overseas team. And I mean, we ran into a lot of issues that, that slowed us down. Now we got to the finish line, but it was a challenge, you know, and, and it had, I had, I had the opportunity to do that over again, it, knowing what I know now, I would have made, um, I would have been even more, you know, discriminatory in how I, I look into who we're work, working with. Now it's all going to, you know, be fine now, but right. at the time it, in the delays that we incurred, I was pulling my hair out because we have a, we're trying to bring a product to market, right? So when it takes six months longer than you're intending for it to, that is painful. First question I ask everybody when they tell me, hey, Damien, I got this idea for a business. I got this idea for a business. I wrote about this in my book, the, my business book, which is over my, my shoulder right over there. Um, I said, your idea might be amazing. It might be the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Doubtful, but it might be. And I'm not going to squash your idea. But I said, let's get to the real part. Can you go for the next 12 months without making a nickel? No, but my idea, my idea, like your idea is amazing. My God, it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. Not being mean, but can you go for the next 12 months without making a nickel or without actually personally making a nickel? Your business might make a nickel, but it goes right back in. And you, usually for me, it was, yeah, I made this dollar and now I'm going to put $3 into this thing. So that's kind of where you are. Um, what'd you get right early on? What do you think, uh, you look at Tom Cunningham, you're like, okay, I was a fireman for God's sakes. Now I'm out here, uh, I'm out here running my own business. Uh, you know, I was a paper boy. I get running my own business. I want to make money. I want to be creative. Um, what'd you get right? You know, the, the, 
there's not a ton of genius to this, this idea. It, there really isn't it, it. I think oftentimes I think anybody could have thought of it. The, the genius, if there is any, is the mechanism between how to tie the processor the, into it as far as they're the, the pivot point of everything. The, wherever the farmer desire, desires to market their product, the processor's key, the customer finds the processor. So we often think direct, we're, the problem with a lot of our issues is that we're, we're, we look at farmer is responsible for getting the product all the way to the customer. Yeah. And so we chose to make the processor that, that hub where the, even though regular, from a regulatory standpoint, it is coming from the farmer, but that the, the, the data, the architecture of the marketplace is based off of the processor, not the farmer. And what about the, uh, the lead time? Uh, you know, I'm a, I've got me and my family out here and we want to do this thing. I like the idea of buying meat locally. I want to buy it through XYZ processor. That's you know 20 miles down the road and off of uh, rancher Bob. How long do I, do I, I can't just type it and say, Oh, I want it right now because there's lead time. There's the animals growing and then there's, they butcher it and it hangs for a couple of weeks while it's tenderizing and being cut. What's the lead time? It, it, it can be about 30 to 45 days. And you're probably familiar, maybe not all the audience is that, that custom processors are very backed up right now, yeah. but there's so a lot of the slots that are being held are, they're not sold yet. It's just desperate farmers making sure they have slots for their uh -huh. animals. So I get that, that aspect of the question often. And, and, and it was freaking me out for a while, but I've, after I've learned more about what's causing that and, that a lot of that is not sold. It's just desperate farmers making sure they have slots, but uh, it's about 30 to 45 days. So when the, when the, the date is, is pending for the farmer about 30 to 45 days out, they would put the animal up for sale when all four quarters or the entirety of the animal is sold, it will go to processing on the date that was scheduled. And uh, from there, like you said, it can take uh, for a hog. It could just be a week because you don't hang a hog. You don't age it. For a beef, it could be two to three weeks, depending on how, how long it's hung. Yes. A lot of people don't know that, but you and I do. Uh, you talked about um, the business and you made a point that it's not like this is you're not you're not, um, you, you know, you're not doing fusion science here. Are you going to get copied? I'd say sure. Airbnb has been copied. What do you do when you get copied? Do you care? I mean, of course we, we care. It'd be kind of, you know, silly to say we don't care at all, but first to market is important for us. And I know there are other people in the local meat space. There's crowd cow and oink and a number of them, but nobody has approached it the way we are right. in regards to the, like the hyper local aspect, if you will. And so, yes, could someone come in, but what, what we want to do is we want to dominate the market. We want to be friends with the processors. We want to, um, have endeared ourselves to the processors as well as um, gone further down the road because we, uh, a substantial amount of the money we raise is going to go to future, further feature implementation for processors. So we've built a, a minimum viable product, but we're going to, we're going to make them our friends and take good care of them. All right. Now you got me to my next level uh, vision. I say in my book, do business better. There's four unwavering traits of entrepreneurial success. I want to hear if you agree with this. One of them is being vision, but I also say risk tolerance, uh, obviously drive your work ethic, 
and then uh, resilience. Uh, you're going to get your ass kicked. Uh, can you bounce back? You know, can you come back off the, can you come back off the mat? Risk tolerance, your drive, your resilience, and your vision. You just spoke about where things go. Do you consider yourself to be visionary? I do. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of my, my stronger strengths. Now, of those, granted, four I just, of those four I just named, is it your number one? I'd probably say yes. You know, I, I would, to a fault, you know, you wish that your resilience is your strength. You know, sometimes that, that would serve you more, but I, I do, I'm a visionary kind of guy. I'm always looking for what's next and how to, how to make something better from wherever it is, no matter how good it is. <clears throat> Tell me the other part of the four I just named that you think identifies Tom Cunningham. You know, we have seen a number of, of setbacks here. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a, a long road, you know, and the fact that I'm, this is the, um, I've done some difficult things and I've overcome some difficult things in, in the military and fire service. And, you know, I've, I'm not inexperienced with resilience, but in a, this has tested me in areas that were not my strengths, you know, and to just keep up, get up and do it again and do it again and do it better and get better every single day. Uh, I have grown a lot. And I would say that resilience is now after almost two years of this become a strength. Cause if it isn't, if it doesn't become a strength, then at some point it's going to be the weakness that breaks you. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, you're a little younger than me and you've, uh, you know, you look like you're a fit guy. And so, you know, you think it's about the physical part of it. when you're a younger man, you'd think, uh, yeah, you know what, that guy ain't going to beat me. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I can, I can, I can kick that guy's ass in wrestling. Uh, you thought you were tough and you know, all that. And it becomes a game now of, the mental fortitude and it actually does become somewhat physical. I had a bad night last night. I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, I got a lot of different things that are on my mind right now. And, and uh, this whole economy being shut down, there's a lot of things that are really weighing on me and I'm 51 years old and most people would say pretty successful, but the mental part of it still is there. The resilience part of it, the fortitude part of it, because um, it, it it's, it's, um, it's never easy. You know, if it was easy, we'd all, uh, we'd all just be out here running our own businesses. And that's why most people are not. So I've got people that I look to that advise me friends that are very successful friends that run their own businesses, guys that I've known since I was a kid, uh, older people that I look to. And I look to some younger people for how they view things differently from a different perspective. Who do you have? You know, I've got, I've got a number. I've got people that I, I often just refer back to in what they taught me years ago and, <laughs> yeah. and lean on them because I, I have a lot of faith in them in regards to just the men they were and the, the business leaders they were. Uh, but as far as like current mentors, I, I consult my dad a lot. You know, he's been through the startup process. Uh, he's worked for them and founded them. And, you know, He's had some success, but, you know, he's by no means, you know, a, a billionaire or a millionaire, you know, and uh, and he's been through and he can tell me, you know, this will pass or, you know, you need to make a, you need to consider this issue and make a change now, you know, and uh, I, I, I don't know what I'd be I'd, I'd do without that, you know, outlet to that to bounce ideas off of or, or problems off of. Um, we have a, a one of our main investors, Gil Holland out of Louisville, Kentucky 
is a, a great guy. Um, another person who just a great sounding board, you know, he's, he's been there and done that a little more than I have kind of thing. And, or quite a bit more than I have, I should say. But, uh, and then of course there's a gentleman, one of the, the farmers that I'm, I'm closest with his name's Cliff Davis out of Summertown he, His farms called pig and leaf. And he makes, he grows some, uh, just absolutely phenomenal product like craft pork to the, just out of this world. And from a farmer standpoint, he, he, he is a small farmer, like really, truly small. And he feeds his family off of the farm. And, and that is a person who I can trust their data. You know what I mean? When, when he says, I feed my family from this farm and this is what I know it to be and how it to works that that's indisputable for me. And, and he's, he's been a sounding board for me time and time again, from a market research, yeah. how do, how would the farmer respond to this sort of way? And then even, uh, in the processing realm, um, one of my local processor buddies, Sean Chapman out of bare bones in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, you know, he'll, he'll pick up the phone and I can throw whatever crazy idea yeah. I want at him. And he can tell me that's absolutely ridiculous or, you know, where can we go with that? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a mentoring and then also people you trust angle. And, um, I've been, been thinking more about this lately myself about, uh, uh, making sure that you've got sort of uh, someone in all those realms. And again, it's got to be a two-way street. It can never be this thing of you're just, you know, uh, the taker, uh, you know, that, that deposit, right. that, 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 that transaction has to go both ways. You've got to be there for them with the stuff that you know, or that you can provide to them. Um, so, yeah. All right. Speaking, point, of, yeah. Uh, speaking of providing uh, one piece of advice, um, anything that you've learned in your year and a half to two years now of journey of getting grazer up and going that a beginning business person, aspiring business person or existing business person can learn from. Gosh, I would say that, and this might sound kind of cliche, but you have got to believe in your vision and your product, whatever it is that you're pursuing, because it is so easy to have those down days. And if you stop believing it's done, you're no progress will be made that that is as far as that will go. So even in the darkest times, and I, not that I, maybe I haven't seen the darkest moment for myself yet, but I, I find myself having those doubts and I just have to immediately, whatever I need to do to restore that belief, go there now, because if you don't believe in, in it, no one else does yet. That's the whole thing is nobody believes in it, but us until we prove it to the world. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I couldn't agree more on that because, um, you know, it's, it's your baby. And like you said, uh, the average person, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't even see it. You know, they don't even see it, let alone fully believe in what it can be because most people are like, what's this going to be? I don't get it. Um, his name's Tom Cunningham. His company is Grazer. You want to keep up with him. How do they find you uh, and find out more about you? He said grazer.press, grazer.press. And that's then Grazer uh, with no E, by the way. Grazer with no E. That's right. G R A Z R dot press. And uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook with under Grazer Market. And uh, you can find us on wefunder.com forward slash Grazer as well if you're interested in looking at the company's 
vision and financials. And they're going to be growing more and more. So uh, write them down. Mr. Cunningham, thanks for being here. I wish you well on this. This is exciting because you're uh, probably the first person I brought on that is just about really there to bring the thing to fruition. Usually we talk to people that have been doing it for a while and you're, you're like, we're right there. We're right there. You're ready to bust. So you excited? I'm very excited. I'm more excited every day. I'm just, uh, I'm just, rearing to go. And I thank you very much for having us. And I look forward to, you know, checking in with you and letting you know how things come along for us. Got it. All right. Thanks for being here, Tom. Until next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it and be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.